This is one of three podcasts from us. Follow all three to never miss out. I'm Market to Market producer Josh Bittner. Here is one of the offerings now. This is the Friday, September 30, 2022 version of the market analysis segment from Market to Market. Despite disappointing early returns from the combines, the grain markets were mostly sideways waiting on Friday's USDA stocks report. For the week, the nearby wheat contract, well, it added 41 cents, while the December corn contract gained a penny. The country's pile of soybeans was larger than traders anticipated. The November contract sold off 61 cents. December meal dropped 20.30 per ton. December cotton shrank 7.20 per hundredweight. Over in the dairy parlor, November Class 3 milk futures lost 9 cents. The livestock market was lower. December cattle shed $1.50. November feeders cut 362. And the December lean hog contract decreased by 657. In the currency markets, U.S. dollar index cut 77 ticks. November crude oil improved 86 cents per barrel. Comex Gold added $21 per ounce, and the Goldman Sachs Commodity Index increased by almost two points to finish at 606.80. Joining us now to provide some insight, Angie Setzer, Chris Swift. Welcome back, you two. Thank you very much. Good to see you. Let's start with you, Angie, on wheat. Um, yeah. I'm looking at how this market shrugs off a higher dollar. It tries to shrug off... We don't know what's going on in Ukraine and Russia. What's the range and the driver of this market right now? Well, I mean, wheat is a a big driver. The dollar has been a big driver when it comes to wheat. And obviously the situation in the Black Sea um, continues to remain a wild card. Uh, Russia's crop size continues to increase just about every day. I think they're up to 101 million metric ton. And of course, folks are arguing about whether or not that includes uh, a third of Ukraine's wheat or not, and, and this, that, and the other thing. But the reality is the market kind of removed all of the war premium, you know, when we had the grain corridor announcement and things of that nature, like we basically reverted back to the prices that we had seen prior to the invasion on the idea that we we're going to see, you know, I think we maybe thought that, oh, okay, well, you know, this will kind of simmer as a conflict for a while in Eastern Ukraine, and it, it won't impact the movement of grains and things of that nature. And so you saw the, the markets really back off and suddenly, you know, when Ukraine kind of did the counteroffensive, you saw things change greatly. And so now here we sit, we wait to see what Russia is going to do this weekend, how uh, far they're going to move to to enforce their, quote, annexation of those territories. I mean, 18 percent of Ukraine's territory falls under, you know, what Russia says is is theirs now. Um, and so basically, we've kind of escalated this situation that the idea, I think the market's factoring in that the grain corridor shuts down at, at, at the end of November. And so, you know, do we try to trade from 740 to, to $10 or so or something of that nature? I think um, I think it will be awful hard to, to test old highs, um, you know, without some sort of continued uh, weather issue elsewhere. Um, but this wheat market's going to stay stout. Everything's going to stay stout just on the uncertainty and the unknowns of what Putin's next steps will be. Uh, the USDA report today kind of put a little jolt into wheat. Why? Uh, production came in 128 million bushels lower than what traders were anticipating, which is surprising to me as a soft wheat trader over here. Our wheat spreads are probably the widest that we had seen or at least were at harvest time, providing the best opportunities for carry that we had seen in quite some time. 
you know, indicating that demand and uh, was a lot less than what the current supply structure would have looked like, at least at the harvest time. So I was a little bit surprised to see soft red wheat lowered, but all wheat classes were lowered. Even Durham was kicked down, you know, 10 million bushel. And so that really caught traders off guard um, okay. and by surprise. And and that combined with, you know, Ukraine kind of asking to to join NATO today and possibly you know, further intensifying the situation that we're up against in the Black Sea, you know, and then, of course, coming into the weekend with Russia announcing that annexation, um, you know, those three things combined, we were off to the races. What about in corn, that report uh, put positive, yeah. more green for the end of the week, uh, harvest condition, it's going to happen in a hurry here. What's the early returns? Uh, so far, I mean, and people probably won't want me to say this out loud, but I've I've heard a lot of better than expected, or at least as expected. So, you know, the areas that were exceptionally dry and, and very hot and that were dry land and on, you know, sandy bottoms or whatever, you know, th- that, that was exceptionally poor. Um, you know, I think some folks have been caught off guard. I think some of the, the yields have been better than expected across a good portion of, of Illinois hearing a lot about uh, ear weights and things like that um, going a long way, but it's very early. um, And some of our worst yields always are in the start of harvest. So of course, maybe this is better than expected. We'll have to see how it it carries on going forward. But, you know, so far yields as, or, or maybe even a little bit better than expected, but super early. What do you think on range-wise here, given that, as we look forward on this contract? I mean, we're, we're right now not, we're below seven. Mm-hmm. Is that our top? I, I think without something else pushing us, now if we see Russia do who knows what this weekend, I mean, that, that remains the wild card, right? Um, I think, I think that that keeps us kind of, I think, at least until we get the, the USDA, the October numbers. So we're going to be waiting to see what the USDA has to say. We're getting a lot more information, a lot more use of, of, again, the ear weights and things of that nature to kind of give us a little bit further insight into um, what they think yield will be. Um, you know, and so I think in unless um, we see something change in the Black Sea situation or we see something significant change with, with yield outlooks in the October report, you know, I think we could be range bound 650 to seven for a while. Um, but I do, I am nervous about the strength in the dollar and the, the, the slow export pace and the macroeconomic headwinds that we're facing. You know, at some point, I, I keep thinking we're going to come in and, and folks are going to kind of pull the plug on this thing. Now, the USDA's kind of continued to give us reasons as to why. And it's not the USDA, obviously. The, the supply is less than, than what we were anticipating. But um, we just got to kind of keep a, it, an eye on it and the fact that we're a dollar some higher and, and you know, it could move quickly with everything that's going on in the outside markets. But until then, yeah, I think, uh, you know, we, we remain pretty tightly range bound and, and try to figure out which direction we have to go from here. Chris, it sounds like she's been reading some of the stuff you've been writing. You talk about that higher dollar. You talk about uh, the economic headwinds. What's the cattle producer think in you when you hear what Angie just said about some ranges? Well, you know, when we look at, we put $30 on the feeder cattle index this uh, past summer, and now going forward, there was expectations of maybe being able to expand if the drought broke. And now that those expansion ideas are, are at least put off until the spring of the year, now we have to contend with 
the higher corn prices. And as you stated in the uh, overall economy, there's some significant headwinds that have been impacting the beef market. And we've seen some shifts in that. As box beefs have fallen under 250 now, we've already seen the packers start to cut back kills. Uh, they're trying to keep that margin from eroding as fast as they can. And right now it's, it's been a pretty quick erosion. So anything that they can do to slow it is probably going to back cattle up and maybe not have them bring as near high as what they have been. We have an interview coming next week, Chris, uh, with a producer in Oklahoma talking about the cattle story. In those drought areas, they don't really have many options when you're talking about reduced kill. What are they going to do and what does that do to this live cattle market? Well, I think it drives it a little bit lower when we talk about the inability to, you know, not be able to market those cattle. That is Tennessee. And we've seen a little bit of an increase in our uh, weights, our cattle weights. So they, they've not trying to bring pounds off of them, the higher feed costs have not done anything to knock more pounds off of them. And, you know, in all honesty, if we think about it, we do have a little bit fewer cattle out there. So to put more weight on those cattle until you get to a point where it starts to turn them backwards, I can see that coming more and more. The packer wants more beef and having to buy fewer cattle. I want to go back to something you said at the beginning when you talked about the feeders, those producers who were looking to expand if they could on that feeder market, why do they put a pin in that and why or who can expand with an anticipation of maybe in a quarter or three, we might see a little more demand for beef again? Well, a couple of things that we have to go through is we have to be able to get hay production and pasture conditions back up to a level that will support winter grazing and winter feeding. So until we can get those, and, and that was an aspect, there was a lot of hope that maybe some of the drought would break and, and cause that, but it just didn't. And so now we're going to have to work through the rest of the next three or four months feeding those cattle at an exceptionally high price of input cost. And somewhere around January or February, we should get enough of of a weather forecast 90 days looking out to see if we'll be able to expand then. And if you start to see, you know, cattle producers or, or um, cow-calf operators, they'll come in, they'll start holding cows back again, they'll start holding heifers back again, and, and hopefully be able to expand sometime in, in the year of 23 or 24. It's a long time to wait. We'll see how that shakes out. Uh, Angie, I want to come back to beans for a minute. Um, this is the one that the report really put a cold water. We were kind of, as we mentioned, sideways. Yeah, yeah. Good news uh, was I, bad news here, right? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the USDA came out um, and, and increased ending stocks for the crop year uh, by 32 million bushels above what traders were expecting. And so, you know, when we're talking about corn and everyone's like, well, what? We, we saw 135 million bushel reduction and, and you're talking 30 million and, and we were only up eight. And you're going to tell me a 30 million bushel increase in ending stocks means that we go down 45 in beans. And I will say yes, uh, because our ending stocks were supposed to be 240 million bushel and they were 10, 10% larger than anticipated. Um, you know, and so I think you know, when it comes down to it, we ended up understanding the bean crop last year. We had a lot of folks that kind of argued that that might be the case. Does that mean that we're understanding the bean crop currently this year? Because many would argue that in a lot of places, August weather was better than, than August weather last year. And then we have the Brazilian crop. I mean, we're looking at the potential down there. Now, granted, I'm going to preface everything I say right now with we're a third year of La Nina in the fall. So we have no idea what's going to happen weather-wise. But 
the start to the Brazilian crop in most areas has been good to the Brazilian soybean planting. I mean, they're 2% planted. So, it, I mean, we're, we're, it's not like we're a third in or a half in or something of that nature. It's very early. Um, but the rainfall is expected to continue to, to come. The drought, the drier conditions could happen in the south, but so far so good. You know, we're talking the potential of over 900 million bushels of additional production coming out of Brazil this coming year uh, versus what we saw a year ago. Um, so, you know, you're kind of looking at that worry. We saw that increase in carryout. We've got to worry over what demand looks like with the macro conditions that we're facing and what happened with Argentina's soy dollar um, and that huge influx of beans that we weren't anticipating um, coming into the global pipeline. You know, so we have a couple of those things and, and then we get this USDA number. And, and so uh, I, I think a lot of the speculators that have been in this market are kind of like, OK, well, the bean story's over until we see something happen in South America. Mm. And so that doesn't mean we go to zero. I mean, we have a, a gap you know, just below where the market's at around 1350 on the November board. I think we we go to test, you know, fill and, and test and fill that, of course, depending on what happens over the weekend, because we just never know. Um, but the bean story is a lot different now um, than than what the corn or wheat story even is, uh, simply because of the fact that we we kind of have managed to to right the the ship and we have significant carryout for old crop that's going to increase our carryout for new the potential is folks are thinking we could see production increase um coming for new and, right. and a lot of folks are arguing that you could see demand cut and so it just kind of snowballs we might have another issue here at hand angie and it comes in a question from glenn in Ohio. He, of course, wants to ask you about oats. We'll save that for Market Plus if we want. Just a fun <laughs> joke from Twitter this week. Glenn says, we previously were concerned about the railroad strike, and now we worry about the river barge system with inflation, high interest rates, and little carry in the market. Why would a producer choose to store and ignore? I, yeah, I have zero issue with storing. I mean, that that's our, our moneymaker, right? Like, there is, there's a ton of cash carrying this market structure. If you look at basis strength going out, I mean, there's a an example that I saw come through last night of of almost a dollar in cash carry just to hold beans from now to to uh, the end of November. You know, so that that pays for itself. Um, you know, and that's what I kind of argue with my customers is if you are going to be storing, you need to be having a plan in place, especially with soybeans. You know, are, are you and know what kind of market you're selling into? Mm-hmm. If you're selling into an export market, be careful. Logistics are terrible. Barge freight's awful. You know, we're, we're really going to struggle in, in on the interior here as we work our way through harvest, especially with two weeks of wide open progress. And so if you are going to store, I'm all about it, but don't ignore. Make sure you have a plan to be aware of what your cash flow needs are, pay attention to what your market structure looks like, and know when you're going to want to move at least a portion of that grain, because storing and ignoring in a market structure like this could be absolutely catastrophic. Chris, it sounds like, uh, I mean, you're not, you're not next to the Mississippi, but you're in that region that sees the drought and sees the shipping concerns that Angie talked about. Uh, what's the region discussing about shipping? Because it's a big part of your economy. It, it's a huge part of it, and a lot of it because we are going to be very deficit of corn in the southeast this year. We have a significant poultry operation in the southeast, a small amount of pork, um, and a tremendous amount of hobby farming. So we have significant corn needs, and generally the state of Tennessee can manage the majority of our domestic needs through the Tennessee crop, but that's just not going to be the case this year. So when the rail strike started a couple of weeks ago, the concern became, 
how do we get enough corn down south there without the rail system? And what we have found is we have ample plenty of loading capabilities, but very small capabilities of unloading. So unless we have a rail that can pull into a major elevator where they can dump that, we're in pretty bad shape as far as trying to truck enough corn around this area to, to get it to all the regions we need to. I saved the worst for last, Chris. This hog market, I mean, seriously, $10 <laughs> in two weeks. Is, is this over? Is this, is this sell-off done? Please tell me. Yes. You know, the volatility has been very immense, and we got some information yesterday on the hogs and pigs report showing a percent down on everything. So that's multiple quarters in a row that we've seen of hog production go down. But yet we still produce a lot of pork and we're not expected to export a lot of pork to China anytime soon. So uh, unfortunately, I think with the decline in the index, some of the cutout losing, uh, especially in the ham markets, that it, it may still have a little bit more to go. More. How much more? Um it's tough to say. The seasonal tendency lasts until the uh, end of October. So you could see another 5 to $7 lower. That wouldn't be surprising. All right. So what do I do to protect myself then in that situation? Um, in the hog market, call, uh, put options are always the one to look at right there because it will limit your amount of risk that you have to suffer through. And due to the recent volatility and price decline, you might not do anything. Um, another 5 to $7 lower by the time you paid a premium for an option, that doesn't leave you a great room, uh, a lot of room to the downside. All right, All right. Uh, Angie, let's close with cotton for a minute. We asked Chris a regional question. I'm going to ask you a, a cotton question here. His region, it rained, but maybe not as bad. But what's the deal with this uh, $7 this week uh, sell-off? Why? Yeah, I mean, I think cotton really is going to struggle on the macro side, especially with continued fears over what's going on in China and some of these other things. I mean, we're really kind of seeing an overall global economic slowdown that is pretty much unavoidable. I think one uh, uh, one analytical group is pointing at like a 90% odds that we see a, a global recession. So, I mean, I think that's really going to weigh on it. Obviously, uh, we saw, you know, we we have dodged the bullet um, with Ian not uh, hitting the the southeast areas and things of that nature. And, and so I think I think cotton stays supported for a lot of reasons that are fundamental. Um, but I think it it is an easy market to push around, um, you know, for the reasons that it was easy to to ramp up. It's also going to be easy to sell off in the sense that it's not a very actively or very deeply traded market. Um, and so if you see this sort of speculative interest leave on the idea that the macroeconomic setup is is less than desirable, um, you know, then I, I think cotton tends to fall victim to to maybe larger moves than what it should, you know, based on the fundamental outlook right. that it has. All right, Chris, I'll close with you. Uh, Angie kind of touched a little bit about the some of those issues with the dollar um, and, and, and the headwinds there. 30 seconds on the dollar. Have we put the high in on that? Uh, it, it Maybe not. Uh, I tell you, it's a big bull market. And without um, some kind of intervention from another country, which we kind of saw or heard news of that this week, that China may try to intervene in their currency markets a little bit. But until the U.S. stops raising rates, uh, the dollar is probably going to continue okay. to go up. And the, our Fed tells us they're going to continue to raise rates. All right. That's our friend Chris Swift and Angie Setzer. Thank you, friends. We'll talk to you in a little minute. Hold on. Okay, we're going to put a pause on this analysis. We'll continue 
with Angie and Chris and answer more of your submitted questions. Great ones coming in Market Plus. Find that on our website of markettomarket.org in both podcast and YouTube form. All of these resources, they are free. We can't all be goddesses on Twitter like Angie. Follow our musings on Twitter at Market to Market. We'll keep you informed with our links to content next week. A look at the challenges facing the livestock industry in the Southern Plains. Thank you for watching and have a great week.